H.R. 1 stops billionaires from buying elections. Um, unfortunately, we found that that is a winning message. Unfortunately? Unfortunately for who? You? The billionaires who paid you for that research? Yeah, that's what I thought. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Oops. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am. Stuck in the middle with you. I am. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7. FM People Powered Radio in LA, also in Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE, up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ, down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, in Concord, New Hampshire on WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe for you every day for your listening convenience on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth. Five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow. Says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. Welcome to another thrilling edition of the Bradcast. Um, I am relatively certain, uh, Desi Doyen, that I, th- I believe that I was the first journalist to obtain and publish otherwise secret recordings of Koch Brothers' secret meetings. Yeah, uh, I actually think you to, were. Yeah, I believe I was back in 2011 uh, when I published audio from one of the billionaire bashes that were held at the swanky, at the time that was at the Ritz, swanky Ritz-Carlton Beaver Creek Resort near Vail, Colorado, in which the uh, keynote speeches were held in a huge outdoor pavilion Uh, out there in the mountains with the pavilion sort of surrounded by speakers that blasted out uh, pink noise, white noise out into the mountains in order to confound anybody from the outside who would somehow have long range microphones that were able to hear what was going on inside the big tent of millionaires and billionaires who were discussing how uh, at the time as Charles Koch described it on the audio that I obtained, how they were going to wage the mother of all wars against Barack Obama, seemingly comparing him at the time to Saddam Hussein. (laughs) Remember that? Oh, yes. All behind what they thought were closed doors. Uh, Well, over at uh, Mother Jones and at Bradblog.com, I published uh, a series of stories, including the audio of the keynote addresses from then New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, who had 
snuck away from New Jersey to Colorado at the time to give this address and then fly back to Jersey the very next day without even letting local media know that he had gone at all, much less what it was that he was saying to the to the Coke folks out there. Nobody knew that New Jersey media had no idea that Christie had even left town until my expose on all of this. So I included that audio. You can find all of this still at bradblog.com today. Uh, also, remarks from Charles Koch and the now late David Koch and others. It was, as I said, to my knowledge, the first actual audio from inside of one of these super secret far right strategy gatherings that Co the Koch brothers had been holding for years. But it wasn't the last, apparently. It wasn't the last time that actual audio uh, and or video has emerged from one of these Coke meetings uh, on several occasions. Now. Yeah, and, and on other occasions as well. We have seen secret recorded video from fundraisers given by Republicans where they reveal their true feelings about regular Americans. Uh, right. Mitt Romney. Mitt Romney. Remember, that kind of <laughs> oh, yes. ruined his. Uh, anyway. Uh, this week, it was Jane Mayer of The New Yorker's turn, apparently, to continue what I hope will be a long and continuing tradition of shining bright lights on the dark money with which the uh, Coke Industries crew have uh, long and successfully bastardized our American democracy and corrupted, in the bargain, corrupted not just our democracy, but of course the entire Republican Party which now collects billions from America's uh, wealthiest, you know, corporate bigwigs to, uh, you know, to dole out to desperate Republican politicians who are willing to sell off their votes on just about anything that the billionaires want them to. So as Jane Mayer reported in her newest exclusive at the uh, at the New Yorker on Monday, in public, Republicans have denounced Democrats ambitious electoral reform bill known as H.R. one, the For the People Act, as an unpopular partisan ploy. In a contentious Senate committee hearing last week, for example, Senator Ted Cruz of Texas slammed the proposal, which aims to expand voting rights and curb the influence of money in politics, among other things, as uh, Cruz called it, quote, a brazen and shameless power grab by Democrats. It's not brazen or shameless or even a power grab. <laughs> well, you know, remember, Senator uh, Senator Mike Lee of Utah called it something that was written like as if it was written by the devil himself. Well, of course, because they're all getting all this delicious Coke money. Uh, Mayor continues, <laughs> uh, but behind closed doors, Republicans speak differently about the legislation. They admit the lesser known provisions in the bill that limit secret campaign spending are overwhelmingly popular across the political spectrum. In private, they concede their own polling shows that no message that they can devise effectively counters the arguments that billionaires should not should be prevented from buying elections. They just can't figure out how to sell that one, apparently. A recording obtained by The New Yorker of a private conference call on January 8. So this would have been just two days after Republicans were busy trying to take over the Capital. Yeah. Uh, but this was a private conference call between a policy advisor to Senator Mitch McConnell and the leaders of several prominent so-called conservative groups, including one that is run by the Koch Brothers Network. 
this spidering network that passes out money to a whole bunch of other groups and they pass it back and forth and then it goes to the politicians and nobody can ever trace it. Anyway, um, this uh, phone call or this conference call uh, reveals the participants worry that the proposed election reforms by the Democrats garner wide support, not just from liberals, but from, yes, so-called conservative voters, too. The speakers on the call expressed alarm at the broad popularity of the bill's pro uh, provision, calling for more public disclosure about secret political donors. The part uh, the participants conceded that the bill, which would stem the flow of dark money from such political donors as the billionaire oil magnate Charles Koch, that it was so popular that it wasn't even worth trying to mount a public advocacy campaign to try and shift public opinion. Instead, a senior Koch operative said that opponents are better off just ignoring the will of the American voters and just trying to kill the bill in Congress anyway. That's a familiar song. <laughs> I mean, that's what they did with the American Rescue Plan. Wildly popular. But you know what? Let's just ignore how popular it is and we'll do everything we can to stop it. We'll filibuster it. We'll vote against it, etc. Kylie McKenzie, the research director for the Coke Run advocacy group called Stand Together, <laughs> told uh, fellow conservatives and Republican congressional staffers who were on the call, these congressional staffers were on the call with these so-called nonpartisan, uh, you know, uh, nonprofit groups. AstroTurf groups. Yes. That actually do engage in political activity, unlike the uh, law that says they're not supposed to. With actual Republican congressional staffers. <laughs> yeah. McKenzie uh, said that he had a, quote, spoiler when presented with a very neutral description of the bill, he said people were generally supportive of it. McKenzie said, uh, adding that, uh, quote, the most worrisome part is that very is that conservatives were actually as supportive as the general public was when they read the neutral description of the bill. In other words, a description of the bill in which they didn't call it, what is it, uh, from the devil himself, <laughs> as Mike Lee said, or a shameless power grab by Democrats. In fact, McKenzie warned there's a very, very large chunk of conservatives who are supportive of these type types of efforts. Well, uh-oh. And yes, of course they are. You've been out there telling them how uh, George Soros and Tom Steyer and take your pick are out there uh, buying off all of the Democrats, these billionaires. Well, yeah, you've been telling them the billionaires are buying elections for years. Don't be surprised when they favor that not happening. As a result, uh, McKenzie conceded the legislation's opponents would likely have to rely on Republicans in the Senate where the bill is now under debate to use, quote, under-the-dome type strategies, meaning legislative maneuvers beneath uh, Congress's roof, like the filibuster, in order to try and stop the bill because turning public opinion against it is going to be, quote, incredibly difficult. He warned that the worst thing conservatives could do would be to try to, quote, engage with the other side on the argument that the legislation, quote, stops billionaires from buying elections. And McKenzie admitted, quote, unfortunately... We have found that that is a winning message for both the general public and also conservatives. They really have no idea what to do about H.R. 1 and its popularity uh, once people you know, hear how it cleans up our corrupted corporate 
bought elections. And you can tell that McKenzie is not terribly comfortable in this audio delivering that message to these billionaires who used their dark money to pay for his research as to how to stop this bill that would prevent them from being able to secretly buy elections. But you don't have to take my word for any of this or even Jane Mayer's. Here is the bulk of that presentation from McKenzie as obtained by the New Yorker's uh, Jane Mayer this week. We'll uh, play it and we'll come back and talk about it a bit. I was going to talk about the two goals um, that we had for um, this research, which is uh, just provide a realistic picture of what the public thinks about H.R. 1. So we anchored this research specifically about H.R. 1. Uh, we felt like that was the most tangible thing to do research about at this at this point in time. And the second goal was just to see if uh, we could find any message that would activate and persuade conservatives on, on this issue. And a uh, little bit of a spoiler for the rest of my presentation, but there's, it's very mixed results um, <laughs> on that front. But I That's hope I can share some nicely. quick kind of do's and don'ts um, uh, that we saw about mass uh, mass public communications about, about this issue. Uh, the first thing is simply that you have to understand that most people have never heard of the phrase HR1. Um, so over 60% of people just had no idea what we were talking about when we said, have you ever heard of HR1? However, when presented with a very neutral description of HR1, people were generally supportive. Um, and the, the most worrisome part, which Grover mentioned at the very beginning of his presentation, is that conservatives were actually as supportive as the general public was when they read the neutral description of HR1. <laughs> and so as I have here in my don't slide, you know, this isn't just a matter of like finding conservatives and then activating them on this in a, in a public way. Um, you know, there's a large, very large chunk of conservatives who um, um, are supportive of, of, of these types of efforts. And so, you know, everything that people just went through about the under the dome type strategies on this, you know, we think makes a lot of sense simply because winning over public support for this is actually incredibly difficult. Good luck. Um, on that, the, the next two points, uh, the next two parallel points, do's and don'ts, um, are probably the most important of this whole presentation, which is um, the way to engage with people on this is to engage in deep storytelling um, where you have tons of examples of how this might uh, negatively affect people. So we ran, you know, a surface level messaging max diff exercise where we pitted messages against each other. And we also ran a, um, a few independent stories, right? So people could read through the stories and identify with a person. And identifying with a person and understanding what they were going through and how it negatively impacted them was so much more powerful and persuasive than kind of engaging in the surface level messaging war. Um, and I'll get, I'll get more into the stories that were successful at the end of this presentation, but this leads into the next point, the third kind of parallel point there, which is uh, the, the don't on the side is don't get into a fight uh, in HR1 where you, where you engage with the other side, where they have the talking points. HR1 stops billionaires from buying elections. Um, unfortunately, we found that that is a winning message um, for both, um, you know, the general public and also conservatives. Um, you know, that simple message, but 
far and away was resonated with people. And, and, you know, when they had to compare that message versus tons of other ones, they were most persuaded by that. And they found that to be most convincing and most, you know, riled them up the most. Um, however, if you do want to engage in this type of messaging, um, you know, the one message that seemed actually to work, and I know this won't be intellectually satisfying to a lot of people on this call who really want to engage in this fight, um, the message that seemed to work, right, was simply that Congress shouldn't be focusing on this right now. We, our country has much bigger fish to fry at this moment, which I think we can all agree with. Um, you know, and so the two examples we used were healthcare and the economy, right? You know, there's still an unbelievable amount of people out of work in the country. Congress should focus on getting people back to work, not on, you know, these kind of niche donor disclosure type of uh, endeavors we're working on. Um, obviously, you know, we don't have the luxury of maybe making that statement because we do need to refute the other side's point of view. But from a mass a mass communications point of view, that um, is one of the most effective messages, actually. Um, one of, I, one ray of hope is that <laughs> one of the other messages that did work with conservatives um, compared to the general public was simply that a diverse coalition of groups um, oppose HR1. So in our, in our message example that we used, we used the example of ACLU, Planned Parenthood, and conservative organizations backed by Charles Koch um, uh, as an example of groups that oppose HR1. I think, you know, when you put that in front of people and they like, oh, conservatives and some liberal groups all oppose um, this, like, I should maybe think about this more. Uh, you know, there must be there must be bigger implications to this if these groups are all coming together on it. Um, that got conservatives to think about this pretty well. Um, some of the messages, again, that really surprisingly were at the bottom um, were, um, you know, if HR1 passes, it could lead to more political violence. Um, you know, that wasn't persuasive. I think people thought maybe that was overblown, even though that is a concern that, you know, that we have. Um, it's and not then real, also, but we have that concern. Um, that, you know, the surface message without a lot of context that HR1 silences the opposition was not helpful either. Um, and then perhaps most sadly on the don'ts column here, the last <laughs> number five, and this is a major reason we undertook this research, was just to simply test whether the phrase cancel culture could be attached to HR1 and using that to motivate the right um, would be helpful. Unfortunately, um, at least in you know our max diff exercise where we had messages against other messages, um, this concept of cancel culture didn't really resonate with people. Um, so our you know our phrase was something very akin to HR one is the left's attempt to use cancel culture to you know to cancel conservatives something like that, um, and it really ranked in the bottom. Um, Can't understand why. Obviously for the general <laughs> public, but even for conservatives as well. So catchy. And so that was definitely a little um, concerning to us. Finally, but I'll get into a little bit rosier picture here. You know, we did find that some of these more in-depth stories, and I'm happy to share them with people if they want them, uh, were a little bit better at changing people's minds about this issue. And so we t tested several. These were the top three uh, that kind of were pretty successful. The first one we had was that, you know, if you make donor lists public, a small-scale donor 
um, could be associated with another donor that ha- you know that has a bad you know a, a bad um, public persona, and so it could really negatively impact a small scale donor because people would start associating them with this other nefarious donor. Um, and you know that seemed to persuade people in the general public, not just conservatives, but um, also people in general public, that 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 is something to be concerned about. For conservatives specifically, um, we we just tested an AOC message that you know she has shared publicly that um, she wants to hold people in the Trump administration accountable. What what she means by that is unclear, and we we were honest about that in in the message. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it did, um, you know, move 0% of liberals <laughs> as to be expected. And it moved about 30, 31% of Republicans, um, to kind of change their point of view about HR one when they were showing this kind of story about how HR or AOC wants to hold them accountable and that HR one would allow her to do that a lot more easily. Um, and then finally, another story that was kind of interesting that was also successful is, um, as I'm sure everyone on this call knows, you know, HR1, it, let's say um, a local neighborhood raised money uh, for a certain cause, um, you know, of businesses in that neighborhood, um, such as Black Lives Matter. You know, if if all these donor lists were made public about who donated donated money to a certain cause, especially in a small geographic area, it would be very apparent who gave money to a cause, and but also who didn't give money to that cause. Um, and that was kind of persuasive to people that you know some businesses might believe in the causes of like Black Lives Matter or others, but they maybe just didn't have the money at the moment to be able to give. Unfortunately, if HR1 passed, you know, their not giving would be made very apparent and very easily because (laughs) donor privacy is no longer protected. So, yeah, so he's very worried about the people who don't who aren't billionaires who don't give money to these groups they're going to be affected too because they're not going to be named in this uh, in these disclosures that HR1 would require that was Kylie McKenzie of the coke funded group stand together who is clearly uh, and I don't know is my imagination he does not sound very comfortable <laughs> giving that message to those billionaires that people don't like billionaires buying elections yeah and it's also kind of surprising remarkable how far they had to reach how deep they had to go to try to find something, something anything anything that would people would respond to I love he is unfortunately people think that billionaires shouldn't be able to buy elections, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah, this kind of hits directly at his billionaire boss who told him to, to run this survey. But I think the uh, important point to remember and to keep repeating to all your friends and family is HR1 stops billionaires from buying elections. Yeah, because that's apparently a very popular message, yes. even with uh, right-wingers. Uh, they also note that, uh, you know, they try to tell people that Planned Parenthood is also against this bill. Turns out Planned Parenthood is not against this bill. So they had to lie. Right. Attaching desperately. Attach cancel culture to the message. (laughs) Just attach it to anything you want. Oh, you're uh, why? Why do you want to get rid of guns? That would that's cancel culture. Why do you want to cancel my guns? Why do you want to cancel my billionaires in our elections? Well, now, maybe if they had the Dr. Seuss Foundation say something about the Koch brothers and billionaires buying elections, maybe that would be cancel culture. That would would respond. Good luck with. 
with that. They even threw in AOC. Let's attach <laughs> AOC. AOC is in favor of this, so surely you're against it now, right? Especially since she wants to hold people accountable. Gretchen uh, Ryder, the senior vice president of communications for this group, Stand Together, declined to respond to questions about the conference call or the Koch group's research showing the robust popularity of the proposed election reforms. Jane Mayer says in an email statement, uh, Ryder said, quote, defending civil liberties requires more than a soundbite. Well, helpfully, Jane Mayer included much more than a soundbite in uh, explaining how these people planned to defend civil liberties. She shared, in fact, the group's entire 10-minute presentation, and a writer added that the group opposes the bill because, quote, a third of it restricts First Amendment rights. She included a link to an op-ed by a member of Americans for Prosperity, which is another Koch-funded group. That op-ed argues that the legislation violates donors' freedom of expression by requiring the disclosure of the names of those who contribute $10,000 or more to nonprofit groups involved in election spending. Such transparency, the op-ed suggests, could subject donors who prefer to remain anonymous to retaliation or harassment. All of that, of course, in seemingly direct opposition to uh, Justice Anthony Kennedy's claim back in the uh, 2010 Citizens United decision at the Supreme Court that it was just fine for corporations and for big donors to give to these political action committees under the notion that it would all be transparent and thus self-regulating, at least until the billionaires figured out how to keep their donations completely in the dark, as they are still clearly fighting to do, because in many cases they don't want to be known as opposing or supporting something that is wildly unpopular with the public, like, you know, tax cuts for billionaires or taking away health care from people. They don't want it to be known that they're putting tens of thousands, if not millions of dollars into those causes. Or in this case, fighting to make sure that they can continue to secretly buy elections and politicians with all of that free speech that somehow they have accumulated in their bank accounts that folks like you and me don't actually have at all, which actually takes the idea of freedom of expression and turns it into a commodity that only the wealthiest can truly afford, and these guys would like to keep it that way. Coordinating uh, directly with the right-wing policy group, says Mayor, which define themselves as nonpartisan for tax purposes, were these two top Republican congressional staffers. Caleb Hayes was on the call. He's the general counsel to the Republicans on the House Administration Committee. And Steve Donaldson, who is a policy advisor to Mitch McConnell. Donaldson said, when it comes to donor privacy, I can't stress enough how quickly things could get out of hand. I believe he said that during the conference call, according to Mayer, indicating that McConnell's concern about the effects that disclosure requirements would have on fundraising. Donaldson added, quote, we have to hold our people together and predicted that the fight is going to be a long one. It's going to be a messy one. But he insisted that McConnell was, quote, not going to back down. Got that, billionaires? Your man is not going to back down. He's going to make sure that you can continue to buy him. 
You're welcome. The uh, proposed legislation, which the House of Representatives has already passed, uh, largely along party lines, has been described by The New York Times as, quote, the most substantial expansion of voting rights in half a century. It would transform the way that Americans vote by mandating automatic national voter registration, expanding vote by mail, transferring the decennial project of redrawing and, yes, gerrymandering congressional districts from the control of political parties to nonpartisan experts. So you see why they would oppose this bill even before we get to the dark money provisions. Those provisions have received the most attention in H.R. 1, but the billionaires obviously are most concerned about the provisions which would require transparency on donations that are larger than $10,000. It does not necessarily prevent them from giving that money but the groups that receive them, which receive special perks as supposedly nonpartisan nonprofit groups, they would have to disclose the sources of their funding, and they don't like that, and they fear that it would prevent the money from flowing in. That, as Republicans love to pretend that the left is funded by all kinds of dark money from billionaires. Where are those billionaires? Why don't they ever stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help keep us going? Uh, anyway, the same so-called left, you know, that, that gets all of this money from billionaires. Oddly enough, they are now pushing hard to pass this bill into law. Apparently, their funders are not embarrassed or ashamed about their giving for some reason, unlike the Republicans who want nobody to know how much they are doling out to these clowns and for the topics, the issues that they're uh, uh, funding and, you know, keeping you from getting health care and keeping all of us from being safe from from guns. And, yes, making sure that there is a, a fracking well in every town in America <laughs> next to you. Next to every school. Yeah. Uh, well, and speaking to those issues, uh, I think it's uh, I'm actually glad to hear one thing about this. One yeah. silver lining out of this is um, is that the American public clearly is not stupid because the majority of them actually back this. And like so many other progressive proposals that have come down the pike in the last 10 years, when the public actually hears what's actually in these proposals, neutrally, you know, just, just the facts, right. they like it. Yeah. They love it. But that's the problem. How often do they actually hear neutral, accurate messages about what is and isn't in a bill? You know, we have True. covered H.R. 1 on this show. We have covered it, I believe, neutrally by also pointing out some problems that exist in that bill, some problems that I have with that bill, that it will allow ballot marking devices instead yeah. of hand-marked paper ballots for every voter in the nation. That's a very serious problem. But you know what? We trust our listeners. We tell them the truth. We don't have to lie to them in order to you know, sell our particular point of view. Jane Mayer concludes her New Yorker piece by saying, pressure tactics from dark money groups may in fact work on individual lawmakers, I would say like the entire Republican caucus in <laughs> Congress, yeah. and maybe on Democratic Senator Joe Manchin from West Virginia. Mayor notes uh, that the legislation now faces an uphill fight in the Senate, largely because of Joe Manchin. But as the uh, January 8th conference call shows, opponents of the legislation have resorted to under-the-dome type strategies because the broad public is against them. 
when it comes to billionaires buying elections. Remember, H.R. 1 stops billionaires from buying elections. Yeah, but AOC and cancel culture. Are you against <laughs> it now? Quick break, and we are back with more right here on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the broadcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Good luck with that. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Well, we might end up working together. Depends on if uh, Joe Biden can pass this three or maybe four trillion dollar infrastructure bill that he's talking about getting rolling. Economists are becoming positively giddy about the potential for economic growth this year as President Biden and congressional Democrats look to look set to push forward a three trillion dollar infrastructure bill that according to uh, Axios's market newsletter. That program from Joe Biden will uh, begin to be unrolled in a uh, during a speech in Pittsburgh on Wednesday, Steel Town. Yeah, good right? place for it. And investment in infrastructure is the fuel to jumpstart the economic engine, according to Beth Ann Bovino, the U.S. chief economist at S and P Global. S and P predicts that Biden's infrastructure plan will create 2.3 million jobs. By 2024, that it will inject 5.7 trillion into the economy, which would be 10 times what was lost during the COVID recession. Oh, and it would also raise per capita income by $2,400. So economists at Goldman Sachs uh, were also have revised up their outlook for the growth for grow, economic growth this year in a Sunday note to clients, Axios reports, predicting real consumption will grow by 9.5% in the first quarter of this year, by 12.5% in the second quarter, citing retailer reopenings, the reversal of winter storm effects, and a decline in the new COVID-19 in new COVID-19 infections. So you can see why Republicans are against it. Of course. Sounds terrible. <laughs> of course, that decline in those COVID-19 infections, if that decline, that's, you know, if it actually happens, by the way. Right now, infection numbers, sadly, are beginning to spike again, as the CDC director warned on Monday with uh, various states doing away with masking and social distancing requirements too early yet again. Even as we are on the cusp of widespread vaccine distribution, just weeks away now, please, serious people, let's not blow this thing. But I digress. Yes. I Sounding a little Biden-y there for a second. People, please, come on. (laughs) 
let's not blow it. Come on, folks. Anyway, uh, further, the uh, Goldman Sachs economists observed that open table restaurant reservations are now nearing 70 percent of normal nationwide and are back above their pre-crisis level down in Texas. That's the uh, crisis, the uh, winter storm crisis that shut down the state. Uh, So that would be before the storm that we only recently learned killed 111 Texans who froze to death thanks to the lack of regulations of privatized power grids in the uh, Lone Star State where uh, you are so free. Lots of freedom down there. You are free to unnecessarily die during a cold snap because privatized public utilities don't uh, actually work when it gets cold because winterizing them would eat into corporate profits and we'd hate to see that happen. But yes, I have digressed again. Uh, They also anticipate, Goldman does, the pace of fiscal support to U.S. consumers will accelerate by $1 trillion uh, on an annualized basis. That's 5% of GDP in March and uh, and the second quarter relative to the previous six months. Much of that coming from the $1,400 individual checks and other stimulus for both the poor and, yes, working families in uh, Joe Biden and the Democrats' $1.9 trillion American rescue plan that not a single Republican voted for in either House of Congress. So, yeah, no wonder they were against that as well. And the big picture now, uh, according to Lawrence Baxter, the director of Global Financial Markets Center at Duke, uh, he says, quote, we have to have a big public works program. Baxter compared Biden's proposed new programs to New Deal initiatives like the Blue Ridge Parkway that were created to battle unemployment following the Great Depression. He said uh, they're not daring to call it that because that would be a lightning rod. And I would also add, as I suspect Desi would as well, (laughs) uh, they're likely to call it an infrastructure and jobs program. Because that's what it is, but it is also something else that I don't know if they will call it that or not. Have you heard them uh, calling it, Des, yet an infrastructure and climate plan? No, I have not. They've been mostly focusing, as you noted, on infrastructure, jobs, and clean energy. Ah, okay. Well, then we don't have to use the word climate at all. Because that's what it is. It actually is, in my opinion anyway. We haven't seen the full details. Those are still yet to come. But it certainly sounds like an infrastructure and climate plan sort of built into one. Based on what we know, based on the preview that Joe Biden offered uh, during his press conference last week, which I have been trying but failing to get to every day since then to uh, share what some of what he had to say here, because uh, I like it. Now, Desi, I know you cover a little bit of this in your Green News report today as yep. uh, part of your preview for Biden's infrastructure proposal set for Pittsburgh on Wednesday afternoon. But I thought I would share his remarks on this in full to give at least you some sense of where things may be going here and to get some thoughts from Desiree that we never seem to have time for in <laughs> our six minute GNRs. Here's uh, Joe Biden asked about his big infrastructure plan last week at his press conference. The next major initiative is to rebuild the infrastructure, both physical and technological infrastructure in this country, so that we can compete and create significant numbers of really good paying jobs. 
really good paying jobs. And some of you have been around long enough to know that used to be a great Republican goal and initiative. I still think the majority of the American people don't like the fact that we are now ranked, what, 85th in the world in infrastructure? I mean, look, uh, the future rests on whether or not we have the best airports that can accommodate air travel, ports that you can get in and out of quickly so businesses decide. Some of you, when you're, if you were ever local reporters and you found your governor or mayor trying to attract business to your community, what's the first thing the business asked? What's the closest access, access to an interstate highway? How far am I from uh, uh, freight rail? Is the water, is the water available? Is there enough water available for me to conduct my business? All the things that relate to infrastructure. We have somewhere, I, I, I asked the staff to write it down for me, and they did, not for this, but for a, a longer discussion. We have somewhere uh, in terms of infrastructure, we have, we rank 13th globally in infrastructure. Uh, China is investing three times more in infrastructure than the United States is. Bridges, more than one third of our bridges, 231,000 of them, need repairs. Some are physical safety risks or preservation work. One in five miles of our highways and major roads are in poor condition. That's 186,000 miles of highway. Aviation, 20% of all flights, 20% of all flights weren't on time, resulting in 1.5 million hours lost in production. Six to 10 million homes in America still have lead pipes servicing their water lines. We have over 100,000 wellheads that are not capped leaking methane. What are we doing? And by the way, we can put as many pipe fitters and miners on us to work capping those wells at the same price that they would charge to dig those wells. So I, I, I just find it um, frustrating Frustrating. You talk about last point I'll make in the infrastructure, and I apologize for spending more time on it, but is that if you think about it, um, it's the place where we will be able to significantly increase American productivity at the same time providing really good jobs for people. But we can't build back to what they used to be. We have to build the environments. Are, global warming's already done significant damage. The roads that used to be above the water level didn't have to worry about where the drainage ditch was. Now you got to rebuild them three feet higher because it's not going to go back to what it was before. Only get worse unless we stop it. There's so much we can do. Look at all the schools in America. Most of you live in the Washington area now, but in your hometowns, I don't know where you're all from. How many schools where the kids can't drink the water out of the fountain? 
How many schools are still in a position where there's asbestos? How many schools in America we're sending our kids to don't have adequate ventilation? How many homes, buildings, office complexes are wasting billions of barrels of oil over time because they can't hold in the heat or the air conditioning because this leaks through the windows that are so porous and the connections. So there's so much we can do that's good stuff, makes people healthier, and creates good jobs. Well, doing, stu- doing good stuff that creates good-paying jobs, that's right out. No wonder <laughs> they, no wonder uh, Republicans, Republicans are against, are against it. it. Yes. Yeah, that's uh, our theme today, I guess. Joe Biden last week at his uh, press conference, his first press conference at the White House since becoming president, uh, speaking about infrastructure. And it seems like, boy, he gets it. Oh, definitely. He gets it. One in five. And by the way, I heard, you know, when he apologized for going off, I thought first thing I thought in my head, no need to apologize to Desi uh, (laughs) for spending time on infrastructure. I know. So one in five miles of highway is in need of repair. One hundred and eighty six thousand miles. Six in ten homes in the U.S. with lead pipes that need to be replaced. A hundred thousand wells that are uncapped. What do they do? Just finish drilling and walk away? Is that yes, it? Yes, that is exactly what they do. And that's only about you know current wells. There's something like an estimated five hundred thousand abandoned wells in Texas and Colorado alone from decades past. The number of jobs from replacing water fountains that are undrinkable in America's <laughs> schools. That alone. Seems like we're talking about hundreds of thousands of, of jobs that would be created. You had thoughts on Yeah, well, okay, his, so his so just remarks? as a preview of, yeah. of what they're considering yeah. for this new infrastructure bill, uh, to split it into two pieces, uh, the first half would be roads and bridges and water systems, upgrading the electric grid, transitioning to clean energy to help curb pollution and mitigate climate change, which, are, of course, are very, very costly. Outside of the actual cost of the projects themselves, we spend billions on public health problems from mm-hmm. air pollution and yeah. to recover from these repeated extreme weather disasters again and again and again. So that's why he was talking about build back better, build back to a standard that will help us withstand rising sea levels, future floods, which are going to be worse than our current floods that are already worse than the floods we used to have in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Spend the money now, spend more money now, so that you have to spend less money later and in the bargain you're creating hundreds of thousands, millions of jobs. Exactly. And then the second half of the infrastructure proposal that he's going to make, which will come later, Mm -hmm. apparently, at least at this stage, is to fund human infrastructure. Things like a free community college, universal pre-K and child care, affordable health care, elder care, all the kinds of things that help workers move into new careers. Um, And I also want to point out that this is sort of a down payment on a multi-generational effort to transition to clean energy. You know, the infrastructure that we enjoy now was built 
in the 1930s with the Civilian Conservation Corps, mm-hmm. the New Deal. It was built after World War II when we had all these GIs coming home who needed jobs and we built the interstate highway system. Mm-hmm. So those are things that we've enjoyed for decades. This is a similar concept of building all the things that we're going to actually really need in coming decades. So we will uh, talk a little bit more about this in your Green News Report coming up and yes. we will certainly be talking about it in the days ahead as this uh, plan is formally unveiled in Pittsburgh on Wednesday by Joe Biden. One quick uh, note here before we get to our break and to your uh, latest GNR. Just a quick update on my conversation on yesterday's broadcast with Karen Short, the uh, senior voting rights attorney at the Southern Poverty Law Center. We were discussing Georgia's controversial sweeping new voter suppression bill adopted in both houses of the GOP-dominated state legislature and signed into law by Republican Governor Brian Kemp. In just one single day last week, well, I asked Karen Short about the so far two different lawsuits that were filed by uh, civil rights groups, voting rights groups um, in the immediate after- aftermath of the passage of that surprise passage of that bill last Thursday. And I asked Karen Short whether the Southern Poverty Law Center was considering becoming a party on either of those two uh, lawsuits. She suggested she I think she told me they were looking at it very seriously, very closely. Well, today I received a note from them that somewhat explains Why she didn't answer directly. KG comments. Yes, apparently civil rights groups filed a third federal lawsuit against Georgia's sweeping new law. That makes it much harder for Georgians to vote. This one is filed the uh, Southern Poverty Law Center, the ACLU. Uh, NAACP and several law firms filed on behalf of the 6th District of African Methodist Episcopal Church, the Delta Sigma Theta Sorority, and SPLC clients Georgia Muslim Voter Project, Women Watch Africa, and Latino Community Fund of Georgia. So yes, this would be the third such lawsuit filed And unfortunately, we don't have time to get into details on it today. But uh, yet again, they are against all of the uh, draconian ways in which Republicans are trying to keep certain people from being able to vote in the state of Georgia. All right. Keep up the hell raising, guys. Quick break. And we're back with Desi Doyen and the Green News Report right here on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com/donate. That's bradblog.com/donate. And thanks. Well, after years of it becoming a running joke during the Trump administration, every time they tried to say, this is our infrastructure week, and then he would say something stupid or do something stupid that would derail the whole thing. Thankfully. So we never got any infrastructure from Donald Trump. Which is a good thing. Well, maybe, but it's the Mm. one thing he might have been good at, building things, maybe. 
Uh, anyway, now it looks like Joe Biden is actually going to do it, as we discuss at least a little in our latest Green News report. China is investing three times more in infrastructure than the United States is. Biden previews massive infrastructure investment to address climate resilience and global competition. Deadly torrential rains and floods sweep through Nashville. Plus, the traffic is resuming. Stuck container ship in Suez Canal freed, thanks in part to global warming. Thanks, global warming. All of those stories and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. When you look at how big that ship is, I'm not surprised that it got stuck. And the crazy thing is, that whole ship is just delivering two AA batteries. Yeah, the rest is just extra packaging. True. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, the ship is now free. Yes, yes, that huge container ship that was stuck in the Suez Canal for a week that exposed the fragility of the global supply chain network. Yes, that ship that was freed on Monday, thanks in part to man-made global warming. The massive ship was refloated by a higher-than-usual spring tide, which was boosted by rising sea levels, which was driven by warming ocean temperatures. And you say climate change is no good for nothing. See there? You're wrong again. Here in the U.S., as we go to air, at least six people have been killed in flash floods in Nashville, Tennessee, triggered by the second highest rainfall in the region on record. Seven inches of intense rain overnight Sunday destroyed dozens of homes and businesses. More than 100 people had to be rescued from fast-rising waters that overwhelmed the city's flood control systems. Okay, I'm changing my opinion about climate change. In the first press conference of his term late last week, President Joe Biden focused on the accelerating impacts of extreme weather disasters turbocharged by man-made climate change and gave a preview of his massive $3 trillion infrastructure proposal that he will announce later this week. Biden noted that China's annual investment in infrastructure is three times that of the United States. Biden said upgrading the nation's crumbling infrastructure and building out clean energy will increase U.S. competitiveness and productivity, boost climate resilience, revive the economy, and create jobs. Six to 10 million homes in America still have lead pipes servicing their water lines. We have over 100,000 wellheads that are not capped, leaking methane. What are we doing? And by the way, we can put as many pipe fitters and miners on us to work capping those wells at the same price that they would charge to dig those wells. And to kick things off, the Biden White House on Monday announced a new offshore wind energy initiative. The Departments of the Interior, Energy and Commerce will coordinate to reach 30 gigawatts of offshore wind energy projects by 2030. For perspective, construction will soon begin on America's first major commercial offshore wind project. This new initiative targets the equivalent of about 40 times that in nine years. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki highlighted the initiative's jobs potential. Meeting this target will create tens of thousands of good-paying union jobs with more than 44,000 workers employed in offshore wind by 2030 and nearly 33,000 additional jobs in communities supported by offshore 
wind activity. Tens of thousands of good-paying union jobs. Yep. And building and upgrading infrastructure for climate resiliency matters and would save lives. Texas officials doubled the death toll from the deadly Texas blackout in February to 111 people Mm. who did not survive the storm, most killed by hypothermia in their own homes because the record winter storm shut down the state's unprotected, unweatherized electric grid. And that was unprotected and unweatherized because Texas decided to leave it up to the utility companies whether they wanted to winterize those pipes. Estimates of economic losses from that one single storm could be as high as $130 billion, which, if confirmed, would make the Texas blackout the costliest weather disaster in U.S. history. $130 billion and 111 lives. But some good news for breathers in the U.S. Virgin Islands. The Biden administration has withdrawn a parting gift from the Trump administration, revoking a key pollution permit that would have allowed the expansion of one of the nation's largest oil refineries, citing environmental justice concerns and the impact of pollution on the local community. Good. And finally, thanks to decades of sustained, intense conservation efforts since the 1960s, the population of the iconic American bald eagle has soared back from the brink of extinction in the lower 48, showing that conservation of endangered species can succeed when we, you know, actually try. Very good. Maybe we'll play some John Ashcroft music on the way out. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Sing it, John. Let the eagle soar <laughs> like she's never soared before. You thought I'd never come up with From a reason. From rocky coast <laughs> to golden shore. With a reason to play that song again, didn't ya? Surprise! Our singing, our once singing Attorney General John Ashcroft uh, with the song that he wrote after 9-11. Yes. Terrible song then, terrible song now, and I just can't play it enough. Uh, anyway, thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks to uh, our producer, Desi Doyen, and for all of you for spending a portion of your day or night here with the Bradcast. If you missed any portion of today's show, download it anytime uh, via bradblog.com. Good luck getting this song out of your ears, by the way. Uh, all of this is made possible by those of you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate. And if you don't do it uh, a lot more soon, I'm going to play this John. Ashcroft song over and over and over. Drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com and on the Facebooks and the Twitters I am the Brad Blog. I look forward to seeing you there. Until I see you here next time I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck world. Soar with healing in her wings as the land beneath her sings God, no other kings, let the mighty eagle soar.